because if I switch myself on. This morning we come to these, these verses, these acts of Jesus as he begins to demonstrate the authority of his teaching ministry with the power of his ministry of miracles as well. And I think that song that we've just sung, Great is Thy Faithfulness, uh, summarises so much of what we're going to look at this morning. And I wonder for us, we were singing those words, do we believe them? Sorry, I'm, if I'm warm, I feel sorry for you lot. You must be absolutely roasting. But it's, it's an important question. As we sung those words, did we sing them because we knew them and, and didn't really think much of them? Or did they strike our hearts because we believed them that every morning we should be able to see new mercies from God? That his faithfulness is that great and his mercy is that remarkable. Well, this morning we're, we're going to have a wee look at, at some really powerful demonstrations of that in the ministry of Jesus. This morning is, is, is a wonderful occasion. We get to celebrate the, the dedication of Abigail and it's wonderful to see so many of the family and friends here to support and share in this day for Sharon and Andrew as well. And we get to celebrate that. But one, the, the question that I would like to, to ask each of us this morning, I don't, it doesn't matter whether we declare ourselves a Christian or whether we don't, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to us this morning as we sit here in this room? Just ponder that for a little second. Because Jesus can become many things to us if we're Christians, he can sometimes become almost the genie that we push when things aren't going our way. One that we box and only drag into relevance when we have to. It could be the case that this morning is, as we came here as Christians, that the worship of God and the thanksgiving for Jesus, for all those blessings that we just sung of, wasn't even on the radar. Is we gathered together as his people this morning. It could be that we, we don't see any relevance to Jesus and we think that he's some quaint, per, probable historical figure that has been hyped up and um, blown up all out of proportion. Maybe that's what we think and we wonder what this is all about anyway. But I ask this question because I wonder, in, in, in the lives that we all experience, the joys and the hardships, who is Jesus to us as we journey through those? How relevant is he? How personal to us is he? And do we at times need a refreshment in our hearts and in our minds of the kind of Jesus that these men saw in our verses this morning. So what I want us to do this morning is we're going to have a look at, the, at, the, at three key characters and we're going to look at these two narratives that we go through in our verses. And of course the first of these is the, the leper. I was going to put a photo of leprosy up but I decided not to because people are going for lunch after this and it is quite a striking condition. But I want us to consider this man's 
position for a bit because we, we read these verses, a leper came to Jesus and knelt before him. And, and we might not really see that as anything pressingly significant. So I want us to understand just a little bit about what this leper's life would have been like at that time in that context. And I will share with us some verses from Leviticus chapter 13 where it says, And the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has a disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. Now what those verses are telling us is that leprosy is a condition which, as we all know, is contagious. And my very limited medical knowledge says it was only sometime in the last 2,000 years that we actually worked out ways in which to efficiently treat this condition. It's, It's a terrible condition. But because of the contagiousness of the condition, it was given in the Old Testament that anyone who had the misfortune to experience it had to be cut off. They couldn't live in the community of the people. They were, they were a risk. And there was no way to resolve that, no way to treat that, so that they were cut off. So what we're finding with this man is here is somebody who has been ostracized. Who will have only experienced, for however long he's had this condition, we're not told how long it was, rejection, fear, and people keeping him away. That would have been the kind of life that he had lived up to this point. A life of darkness, of hurt. Physical hurt because of the condition that he has, but emotional hurt due to the life that he had to endure because of it. I don't know about yourselves, but that's not the kind of life I would envy. It sounds horrific. We all know even as physically healthy people how difficult rejection can be. But when, when it's written down in this kind of way that you are, as the verses say, unclean, how hard that must be. But that was this man's situation. It was a hopeless situation. There was no cure for the condition that he had. And it was declared that he could not be part of the community. He was outside, alone. With no experience of any of the things that so frequently give us a human identity and a bit of self-esteem, all of that was gone. He lived in, for all that we could describe, an emotional darkness due to this condition that he had. And yet within all of that, we in our verses see that all of a sudden there's a glimmer of light. Something happens as this man comes into contact with Jesus. For a man in a hopeless situation, he sees hope. And he sees it embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Just what did he understand at that point? Had he heard rumours and stories of this new, what is he, a prophet, a messiah? What is he? But he's doing all these remarkable things. Had he heard any of those stories? He was kind of cut off from society, so he might have heard maybe vague whispers. 
but he'd heard something, enough to know something, that when he saw Jesus, he saw hope. And he froze himself at the mercy of Jesus. Puts himself on his knees. And to Jesus he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice he says that. Not, you can heal me. You can make me clean. This is a man that's been declared unclean. And here he recognises there is one who can make him clean. And that is Jesus. And then we get those remarkable words that Jesus says, I will be clean. He asks for the mercy of Jesus. And the response is, I will. And more shockingly than that, Jesus does one thing that he shouldn't do in that situation. He reaches out and he touches the man. You could think he was risking his own health. By the letter of the law, he was definitely making himself unclean for a period of time. And yet in mercy and in love, he reaches out. He touches this man. He says these words that this man would have been desperate to hear. And immediately, he is clean. He's set free from this condition which has tainted and destroyed his life up to that point. Lifted from darkness. And he's lifted from it because somehow he recognised that in this person of Jesus Christ is hope. And I wonder, do we remember that this morning? That the same Jesus that was there that died, he rose again and says that he is here, even this morning. And there is still that same hope. We needn't walk in the darkness. We can call upon the Jesus that's in these verses. Cry out to him for his mercy. And much like he does with this leper, he will enter into the troubles of others. I've put the hopes of others, but I meant to write troubles. He will enter into our troubles. I wonder, have we ever felt hopeless? Ever felt like an outsider? Like one looking into something, not really a part of it? Ever experienced rejection? These were the daily staples of this man. Yet he turned to Jesus, put his hope in Jesus, cried out for the mercy of Jesus. And the mercy came and restored him, cleansed him, and essentially gave him a new life. So wonder for us this morning, who is Jesus to us? One of the things Jesus is, is he is our hope. He, the Bible says, is the hope of the world. 
what troubles do we face? Do we remember as Christians or even as non-Christians that here is one in whom we can cry out to? And he will enter into our troubles just as he did this this man's. We don't always get that instantaneous experience that this man got. But often in our troubles there is a sense of his presence, his strengthening, his wisdom. And a slight tweaking of our perspective so that it becomes one of hopefulness and not one consumed by troubles. And the great news of it all is that Jesus entered into the greatest trouble that this world faces, that humanity itself faces. And I loved Eddie's demonstration of it earlier, and it's called the thing of sin. Sin being the things that humanity does wrong, but what we don't realise is that sin is the most addictive thing that humanity has. We literally cannot break the hold that it has on us. It turns our hearts from God, turns our hearts from one another, creates the hostilities that we see in our own lives toward others. It's things like unforgiveness and prejudice and hate can take hold in our hearts. And turns us entirely off the path that God desires that humanity would walk. And the terrifying truth of sin is it makes God angry. The Bible says God detests sin. It's an offence to him because it's not what he's made humanity to be. And when he sees human beings destroying one another and the things around us, it grieves his heart. Because it isn't what we're meant to be. One of the remarkable things that Jesus did is he entered into this great trouble that humanity faces. And this is what we celebrate at Easter. Because when Jesus went to that cross, he took all that power of sin upon himself. And by not just dying but rising again, he created a new possibility for humanity. If, like this man, we recognise the troubles we face, and in this case sin, and cry out for the mercy of God, Jesus would say those words, I will be clean. And with faith and trust in Jesus, we can be set free from those great troubles. So we see this man, this leper, and this remarkable experience that he has. But then we have the next chap, the foreigner, the centurion. And again, we might not really understand what this means, but this chap would have been a cultural reject. Now it turns out, if you read the book of Luke, that this centurion that approaches Jesus was actually one that was reasonably respected because he'd given money to build a synagogue. But Matthew doesn't tell us that. He leaves us with the base fact, this guy is a foreigner. He is not one who follows their God. And because of that, he too would have been seen as one that people would have been unkeen on getting involved with. It was, a, it was a Jewish tradition at that time not to go into the houses of those who weren't Jewish. And that's probably why we see this man allude to, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. He was an outsider. That was his space and place. 
and lived in a country in which he would never be fully accepted. And here we see he's facing his own difficulties, clearly a man of mercy because he's got such concern for his servant. But as the first chap recognises Jesus' hope, this chap doesn't just recognise that, he recognises also the power that Jesus has. That if Jesus says something, it's going to happen. And he illustrates this by talking about how he is a military commander, because that's what a centurion was. He was one that was there to ensure the Roman occupation of Israel went as planned. To ensure that the people remained subject and obedient to the Roman Empire. That's why he was there, that's what he did. But in that context, he understood, if he tells somebody, go do that, they're going to do it. Or if he tells somebody else, go and do this, they're going to do it. Now maybe we can't relate to that, it's quite to the same degree. I know that if I say to one of my kids, go and tidy your room, it generally doesn't happen. No matter how old they are. And in our workplaces, often if, you're, if, you, if you happen to be blessed to be a manager... If you go and tell, if you say to somebody, go and do this, that may happen, but there's every chance it won't, and you've got the joys of dealing with that. Not quite the same when you're a Roman centurion. If you tell somebody, go and do that, they do it, because if they don't, the consequences of it would be steep, and they would be severe. They wouldn't just get nagged it and moaned it; they would likely get physically punished. I don't recommend doing that, folks, to those that don't do what you tell them. You will get in trouble today. So this man isn't just speaking of a kind of authority where we would maybe suggest, even though we're trying to say, go do this, and it doesn't happen. He's speaking about an authority where when you say something, it does happen. And he recognises that in this person of Jesus, how does he recognise this? I have no idea. But somehow he recognises that in the person of Jesus, if he says, be healed, you will be healed. There is no if, but, maybe about it. For Jesus to say these words to sickness and illness is the same as this man saying to somebody, go and do something. It carries that same weight of power and authority. And Jesus responds to this as he marvels. He's amazed at this man's faith. And he says, I've not seen faith like this in Israel. Now let's, re- let's remember, Jesus was Jewish. He came to Jewish people. He came looking for faith and got none. And here this foreigner, this outcast is showing the kind of faith that he was looking for. And he marvels. Jesus only marvels twice in the Gospels. Or only says he marvels twice. This is one of the times at the faith of this non-Jewish person. The other time is at the lack of faith of Israel. That's the two times you will see Jesus marvel. So Jesus is amazed by this man's faith. He recognizes that in Jesus isn't just hope, but it's the power to follow through on what Jesus promises. Jesus does not write empty promises. He says the things that he can do. It's just that we struggle to believe 
that he can actually do those things because it all seems too good to be true. And if you don't believe me, then get a Bible and read the Gospels and the promises that they make. You will find one anywhere. You probably have one and don't even realise it. It's amazing the promises that Jesus makes and the things that he can do. This man recognises the power that he has. And we see as Jesus responds to his faith that what Jesus is essentially calling humanity to is faith. He says these words that would have been so startling to the hearers. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown in the outer darkness. As he recognises this man's faith, what Jesus is saying is what makes us belong to God isn't where we're born. Isn't how much we're worth or how much power we have or whether we're male or female or short or tall or athletic or not. None of that matters. What matters is faith. There's trust in Jesus. And with that, with faith, let's, let me stress this, not works. This isn't a DIY work program, but faith and trust in Jesus when we do that, we become part of his kingdom. And for Israel, they believe they were born into it as their birthright. Jesus doesn't dispute that here. He doesn't say that that's no longer the case. But he says the sons of the kingdom might be cast out if they don't have faith. Faith is what defines us as followers of Jesus. Who is Jesus to us this morning? Is he one that we have that faith in? Is he one that we trust our hopes with? Now, one, I said earlier, one of the things I love about having children in church, I says this to Sharon and Andrew, is top us taking ourselves so seriously because oftentimes we're so good at taking ourselves very seriously. I don't know why, but as adults, we tend to just get a little bit at times a bit boring and stuck in our ways. And children shake all of that up, sometimes in pleasant ways and sometimes in less pleasant ways. Of course, as we all know, as having encountered children, sometimes the shaking is the salt and we're not so keen on that. But I was really struck that the last day of the summer holidays, we took the kids to, um, to the mighty Cadonas. In three years of being here, this is the first time I've ever been to Cadonas and experienced the might of it. Devastated that we never got to try the sugar donuts, but something to look forward to for next time. But one of the things that we decided to take Anna on is the waltzers. Now, I don't go on many rides. If it leaves the ground, I won't go on it. It doesn't pass my risk assessment. <laughs> as you know, the same applies with planes as well. So the waltzers, of course, doesn't leave the ground. Um, so we decided we we're going to take Anna on the waltzers, and Anna's seven, so it could be a bit of an intimidating ride. So we we're waiting in the queue, and it was very fascinating watching, because as you watched the carts going round and round, you saw all these people with faces that were kind of a bit like this, <laughs> holding on. And all around, from maybe 20 upwards, you saw this, just people grimacing and clearly not enjoying their experience of this classic retro ride. 
looking mostly like they were going to hurl, except in one cart. In one cart you had a couple of kids, maybe about nine, two girls. And they, they had their hands up in the air, they were getting swung the fastest, they were loving this ride, enjoying it. Willing to let go and just trust and enjoy the experience. But I wonder, where, where is our whole perspective and focus? Are we kind of clinging on, going through the spins and the twists, but not really getting the joys out of life that God actually intends that we do? Life doesn't need to be like the waltzers, because I can guarantee if most of us go on it, we're going to pull those faces. But Jesus came so that we could be set free from that great trouble of sin and so that in every other trouble and trial we face, because even as Christians we still face trouble and trials. Sometimes more so. Because we're called to live in a big community and that can be hard work. But even in the midst of all of that, God promises he will be with us. We will have a sense of his presence, his strength, his comfort, his peace. This foreign centurion somehow recognised that in Jesus was one that followed through on what he promised. I share with us this morning that God promises us, promises us to engage in our troubles and journey with us through them. To set us free from the greatest trouble of them all. And to be present with us at every moment of every day. Whether we're Christian or not, my question is, who is Jesus to you? Is he the one we see in these verses? Let's make sure that he is. So who then, of course, is the third person? The third person is you. The third person is me. The third person is us. And I close with a simple question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to us this morning? Is he a historical figure that we're not really sure if he existed or not? Well, actually there's more evidence that Jesus Christ existed than what there is that even Caesar lived. And we don't dispute the life of Caesar. We know for certain he existed. Countless sources outside of the Bible confirm not only was there a man called Jesus, but that there was rumours that he rose again. And that his followers soon became a bit of a concern to the state because they weren't following the social norms at the time. Or perhaps we think, aye, maybe he existed, but he was a good teacher and a wise moral man and a caring and compassionate guy. But that's kind of all that he was. Wise, compassionate guys don't raise from, rise from the dead. They leave a lot of helpful teaching behind. But I am convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. And one of the reasons I am convinced that Jesus rose from the dead is you had these 12 disciples, 12 followers of Jesus. And on the night Jesus was arrested, they ran. They scarred. They denied they knew him. They sought to save their own skin. And to be honest, if you thought somebody could be the Messiah, but then got arrested, maybe we would draw that same conclusion. Nah. I'm, cut, I'm hedging my bets. I'm going to wait and see how this plays out. That's what they did. 
changed. We know Jesus was crucified. Crucified? Crucified. That part, again, is a historical fact. There is documentation to that outside of the Bible. But what changed? Why did 12 men who took a risk assessment, rational risk assessment of the situation, suddenly become emboldened to the point that they would die? Nobody dies for a lie. We keep lies going for so long, but there's always a cost that we're not willing to pay to keep it going. Nobody dies for a lie. What changed? The only answer I can come up with is that he indeed rose again. So he can't simply be merely a wise teacher. Evidence points to he's actually the chap that we see in these verses. The one that we call the saviour. Hope embodied. And what I share with us this morning is that his desire is to call and draw each of us near to him. So this morning, do we see the hope in Jesus? Do we have a little glimmer of that power that he has and the faith that it can inspire with us? Because one of the things that is for sure is that Jesus wants to engage with us. He didn't come just for specific people. He came to declare to the world, to everyone, I am hope. To every tribe and tongue, the Bible says, the gospel is to go to. Who is Jesus to us this morning? Because that same Jesus that did these things, that died, that rose again, he left us with a promise that where two or three are gathered, here I am in the midst of them. Now as I look around, I can't see Jesus physically here this morning. But he is here, even in this room. Because he gave us that promise. And like every other promise he left us with, this one is the same. It will be true. So in this room is that same mercy, same power, same love and compassion. But with a call. Because he asks us to follow him. To trust him. To place our hope in him. And essentially, have faith in him. Who is Jesus to you this morning? I hope, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, this morning, he is one worthy of our hope and of our trust. And if you don't actually know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, but this morning you would like to speak to myself, I'll be on the door doing my handshaking thing, um, saying good morning to everyone, even through it will be afternoon at that point, because that's just what I do. Ask me. And I'll help you out. Or if you do have faith in him, but actually recognise that I've forgotten some of these amazing things about my God 
say a prayer. This morning, there are many people around that will pray. I will. You can ask me. There are others around as well that we can trust and ask. Who is Jesus? He's the sole one, the only one, and who is truly wise and beneficial for us to place our full and absolute hope and faith in. Let's pray. Father God, we call this the gospel, the good news, that you love this world so much that you sent Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, they will not be cut off, but they will experience everlasting life in this kingdom you speak of in these verses. It can seem too good to be true. It can seem to be a fairy tale. We can struggle with grace, with mercy, with getting what seems to be something for nothing. Yet, Lord, such is your love for us. But you don't shower this grace upon us for us to do as we please, but for us to begin that life of following Jesus. So wherever we are on that journey this morning, Lord, we pray that as we look into the acts of Jesus, we are reminded of the hope, the faith, and the power that Jesus should inspire in our lives. May we trust you. May we cry out to you when we do experience trouble. May we see you as that source of power. May we have faith. And may it be embodied in prayer as we cry out to you to hope in every situation. We thank you that through your actions you have no longer left people as outsiders or unclean but you have set up for yourself a kingdom here on earth where people are made right, made equal, made clean. And where all these distinctions that humanity likes to make to separate people, whether people are rich or wealthier, whether people have the latest cars or the older cars, whether people have high-class jobs or low-class jobs, male or female, age, none of that matters. What matters is our faith in you. So fill us with that faith, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite our musicians up. We're going to close our service this morning by singing together a song which just reminds us of that faithfulness and ever-presence of God. A song which honestly says, actually at times life is hard, difficult, but never one.